Well, good morning. It is good to be back with you again. Uh, before we step into the sermon together, uh, there's a couple of things uh, that I'd like to talk about for just a moment. Uh, this church has a passion for supporting and being a part of God's mission in the world. And, and there are two uh, just kind of things that I want you to be aware of. The first is that we had uh, Serge Gasore here most of, of last month, and now we're blessed to have Esperance here uh, with us, joining us, and I've been told that today is her birthday. Uh, so where, are, are you in here right now, Esperance? Can I embarrass you to have you stand up? Okay. So be sure to wish her a happy birthday. It's pretty neat that on New Year's Day, Hope has a birthday, right? That's what Esperance means, so that's, that's a pretty cool thing to think about. The other thing, uh, and I just kind of found out about this, we have a missionary couple in Peru, uh, the McIntyres. Tia, uh, the wife, her mother has been getting sick over the last few days, and this morning they're calling in the family, uh, and it doesn't look good. And Tia is far along in her pregnancy enough that she can't fly. Um, And you can imagine how difficult uh, this morning is for her. And in a church our size, we every day, every moment of every day, we have reason for hope and celebration, and we have people whose hearts are breaking, and we want to be present to, to everybody and wherever, where, wherever they find themselves. And so I want us to spend some time this morning praying for Tia and her mother. I also want to encourage you, if you have access at all, to Facebook or email. Uh, our, our missions committee can help you find a way to get a note to her or email to her or Facebook to her. We need to let her know that we are covering her and her family in prayer. Would you bow with me? God, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you for uh, the ways that he blesses us and guides us. Um, we thank you for family and the family of faith. We thank you that Esperance is here with us this morning and and for the just the joy that comes from getting to, to be together. Pray that you would bless her time here and bless our time with her. And we lift up uh, Tia and we lift up her mother, God, and you know exactly what's going on in that situation. And so I pray that, that your presence would bring not only uh, grace, but also healing. Uh, we, we ask for the desire of our heart, which is for her to get better, for you to, to work a miracle of healing in that situation. We pray for strength and courage, regardless of what happens. And we pray for Tia and for all the thoughts and the fears and just the, the nerves that she has to be feeling right now. And we pray that you would give her your peace that passes understanding. We pray that you would help Justin to know how to walk beside her in this impossibly difficult moment. God, we know it's a sacrifice to leave our homes to be a part of your mission, but it's in times like these where it just doesn't seem fair. And so we pray that you would would be present uh, to everybody in in this moment, in that situation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll start reading together in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, 
and all your strength. These words that I am commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are sitting around your house and when you are out and about, when you are lying down and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hand as a sign. They should be on your forehead as a symbol. Write them on your house's door frames and on your city's gates. Now once the Lord your God has brought you into the land that he swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you, a land that will be full of large and wonderful towns that you didn't build, houses stocked with all kinds of goods that you didn't stock, cisterns that you didn't make, vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant, and you eat and you get stuffed, watch yourself. Don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Revere the Lord your God. Serve him. So, here we have God's word to God's people on the edge of this new way of life. They've been slaves. They know what that's like. They've suffered at the hands of others. They know what that's like. And now they're about to open up a page in, in a new chapter of life where it's going to be filled with goodness and blessing. And God says, be careful as you experience this newness, this goodness, that you don't forget the truth. See, God knows that his people, and not just the Israelites, but all of his people throughout the ages, we struggle with, at times, some pretty severe cases of spiritual amnesia, where we forget the things that really matter. We forget the things that have happened that make all the difference in the world. We forget who our God is, and because of that, we often forget who we are supposed to be. And so God says, the way to, re to remember is to have a certain kind of relationship with my word. Right? And it's not a, a partial relationship. It's not paying some attention. It's not thinking about it every once in a while. It's finding a way not just to know about God's word, but to live with God's word day in, day out. This is what God says will help us keep our hearts and our minds and our souls where we want them to be, which is close to the heart of God. So he says, find a way to keep those words in front of you. The, the words of command and promise, comfort and challenge, the words of, of doctrine and theology, the words of hope. Keep them in, in a place where you're going to pass by them often. Put them on your door frames and your gateways. Talk about them. Share them with each other, these words of mine, when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're, you're, you're resting and when you're getting ready in the morning for your day. Talk about the things that, that I have done for you, the things that I promised to do for you. Let my word shape all of your words. Let my word shape your life. As much as we want to be people who do that, I think we have to admit that we live in a world that we have always lived in a world where God's words are not the only words we listen to. God's words are not the only words that we hold close in our heart. And if we're going to be honest, we struggle to remember. We struggle to remember who we've promised to be and who God has promised to help us be. And as we stand Right here in the doorway, in the gateway of a brand new year, 
we've got some decisions that we need to make about what, what we'd like this new year to be in our lives, how we'd like it to look. And we could talk about all kinds of different things, but I, I want to keep it very simple this morning. And that is, is as I think about 2017, my hope for us, my prayer for us, my prayer for you is that, that you and I will wake up every morning and expect to grow every day. That's what I want for us. Expect to grow every day. Expect to grow in your faith. Expect to grow in your understanding of God's word and God's will for your life. Expect to grow in being able to shape your life after the things that really matter and help your children understand the things that really matter the most. Expect to grow in your sense of of direction and what God is calling you to do and be. Expect to grow in your ability to, to look more and more like Jesus, his son, and to listen more and more to the Holy Spirit and, and to take its lead. Expect to grow every day. Now this is simple. It's straightforward. It's repeated over and over in Scripture that, that we are people who are on the way, that we haven't arrived yet, that we're supposed to be having this expectation of change and transformation. Yet I find that in my own Christian journey, I find that in many other people's Christian journeys, we struggle to keep this at the center. That we're not done yet. That God's not through with us yet. And we've got to be open to that reality. We've got to be open to that truth. I think part of it is we've kind of relegated the process of growing up to children. Right? When you're a kid, you can't deny that growing up is a part of your daily life. Yeah, you don't think it's weird that you keep having to buy new clothes because the old ones don't fit. In fact, you're kind of excited about it. And when a tooth just falls on its own, You might be nervous a little bit at first, but then when somebody tells you, you know, that the tooth fairy might pay up, suddenly you're okay with it. Instead of hiding it, you smile these gap-toothed smiles to everybody who's willing to smile back. And every year as you get to the holidays, you're hoping you've grown up just enough, whatever that means, that you no longer have to go sit at the kids' table at Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? That you get to sit with the grown-ups. But then you get into your your mid-20s, and you stop physically growing up, and then you start getting nervous about growing uh, horizontally. And so you, you shift from, from having this goal of growing to maintaining. I mean, you certainly don't, don't want to continue to get bigger if you're not also getting taller. And so you, you just kind of have a whole different set of expectations. Now, I don't know why this is, but it seems to me that in most people's lives, when we reach this place where we're done physically developing on the outside, we have this weird assumption that we're done developing on the inside, that, that we're emotionally equipped for everything life's going to throw at us, and that we're spiritually mature. When for every single one of us, that couldn't be further from the truth. It couldn't be further from the truth that no matter where you are in your physical journey of, of development and maturity, you and I, we all still have a lot more growing left to do when it comes to who we're going to be on the inside. It's not easy to admit that, though. I mean, if you're anything like me, I, I have these, these two convictions, these two feelings, thoughts that I wrestle with all the time. One is the conviction that I know that I still have a long way to go, 
The other is this resistance to admit that to anybody. At times, to even admit that to myself. It's this strange experience of both pride for the progress I've somehow managed to make and fear that with as much progress as I've, I've made, it's not good enough. Right? There's this, this experience of hope, and we think about this. I mean, this is all on our minds if we've gone through a few New Year's days. We call them resolutions. We start thinking through, how do I want to change? How would I like to develop in the coming year? I think we all know what that's like, but we'd much rather do that in the privacy of our own hearts. We don't exactly want other people in our lives suggesting resolutions to us. I mean, it just makes you feel strange. Right, so I know deep down that I want to be a better husband and father and son and brother and minister and follower of Christ, but I don't want you pointing that out to me. I, I find this at play. Anytime somebody says to me, they're trying to give me a compliment, and they say, you're so much better at this than you used to be. It doesn't matter what this is. I, at first, I think, well, thanks. That's nice. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How bad was I? Right, you know that same push and pull in your own heart of, of being able to admit I haven't arrived, but also kind of being insecure about, I haven't arrived. And we can trick ourselves in, into settling for who we are right now and deciding this is, this is as good as it's going to get, except for you know this isn't as good as it's going to get. I mean, often you find yourself in arguments with people, perhaps that you're close with, and you are trying to talk about something where where one of you or both of you are trying to improve something in your life? Have you ever caught yourself in an argument, a conversation with someone where you start to try to point out something you think that they should work on and they fire back, well, you're not perfect, right? So then it's like this weird expectation where we just want to say to each other, look, take me or leave me, this is it. Quit expecting more out of me, quit asking more out of me. This is who I am. You either need to to figure out how to accept it or... Or just stop talking to me about it. Now, I understand if somebody's constantly judging you or criticizing you and you get to that place of defensiveness that I've been there and I'll be there again. But it also gets us stuck. And then we get defensive because we know we're stuck. And at the same time, we're frustrated because it's so hard to get unstuck. And over and over in Scripture, there's this this confident, central conviction, and that is that you've come a long way. You've come an amazing distance, but you haven't arrived yet. Now, as I think about that struggle, you know, part of it is we just, we really want, at the snap of a finger, we don't We don't want to have to go through the whole process of growing up. We want to wake up tomorrow and already be grown up. It's that process that's difficult. My dad taught me how to do just about everything. And my dad's a very gifted but frustrating teacher when it comes to just about everything. And here's why. He would teach me to do something, and every step of the way, he would try to encourage me and tell me how much I had developed, how much I had improved over time. But then he would always, he couldn't help himself, point out that no matter how much I had improved, I still wasn't anywhere near as good as he was. I remember specifically a time that he was trying to teach me racquetball. 
And it didn't matter how many times we played. It didn't matter how much better I thought I was getting. I couldn't ever beat him, not a single time. And we'd get to the end of the games, and he'd say, son, you did this well, you did this well, you did this well, and you still can't beat your old man. You know, that was kind of the... And I got to, I will never forget this, I came to the decision that I might not be good enough to beat him, but I was good enough to hit him. (laughs) So I got behind him in the middle of a game, and I kept waiting for the right ricochet off the wall at the right angle, and I saw one come just at the right height, and I, I mean, I put every ounce of strength, which wasn't much, but every ounce of strength that I could put behind this racket, and I was aiming squarely for his right shoulder, and I connected with that racquetball better than I had ever struck a racquetball before, but I wasn't as good as I thought I was at aiming, and I hit him square in the back of the head, and he went down. I mean, he dropped hard, and about two seconds later, he was right back up, and by the time I figured out that he had already figured out what had happened... I couldn't work that little door in the back of that court fast. I, <laughs> we never played racquetball again. Let's just. It is hard to go through the process of knowing that you're better than you once were at something, but you're not nearly as good as you'd like to be. And if it's hard with sports, how much harder is it with our spiritual lives to admit that? So we tend to do a lot of pretending. And we tend to do a lot of keeping other people at distance and, and hoping that they won't ask any more out of us. But I think that's because we struggle with having enough confidence in God's grace that no matter where you are in your journey, you need to hear this. God couldn't love you more than he does right now, and he refuses to love you less. He couldn't love you more than he does right now. And he will not love you less. And it is actually God's unwavering love for you that causes God to want something more for you, something better for you. Now, here's where I think we focus in the wrong area. We start to think that God demands something from us. And there are plenty of places in Scripture in our lives where God asks something of us. Right, but when it comes to our development, when it comes to our transformation, that's something we have to partner with God on. It's not something we can force to happen just through our own hard work. And so what we have to understand is it's not so much that God wants something from us. God wants something for us. God wants something better for us, something better for you, something deeper for you. And I... I wonder at times how much we trust in that grace because I think we're worried that God watches us and is always disappointed in us instead of God watches us because he can't keep his eyes off us. And every little thing we manage to do through his help and through his presence that reminds him of himself is reason for all of heaven to celebrate. God doesn't watch you to, to judge you, to, to condemn you. God judges you because he can't keep his eyes off you. And he wants you to grow up. He longs for you to grow up. And if we can be honest enough to, to say the truth, we want to grow up too. We want to we be a part of that process. We want to trust in that grace. 
And so here we are. We're, we're at this place of new beginnings. And we can't help but think about how last year went and how we hope this next year is going to go. And I hope that you and I are going to wake up every single morning and expect to grow every day, to change every day, to be transformed every day. Through a combination, a, a, a sacred combination of God's grace and our hard work and our willingness to partner with God. And here's what I, I have found too often in my life and in the lives of people I know well. We seem to be willing to work our fingers to the bone for happiness. We're not quite sure how hard we're willing to work for holiness. And what God wants us to understand is the only lasting pathway to happiness is holiness. The only way to have true joy that never comes to an end is we become more and more like Jesus. There's no shortcut. There's no way around it. Do we trust that that's the truth? If this year goes the way God wants it to go in your life, you won't be, at the end of this year, who you are right now. You'll be deeper. You'll be kinder. You'll be gentler. You'll, you'll be wiser. You'll be more patient. You'll be more holy. And in some ways, you'll be more his. You'll, you'll belong to him more than you ever have before. Not, not because he isn't trying to embrace you, but because you and I struggle as we grow up to fully let God embrace us. The gospel saves us by changing us. And so my hope and prayer for us is that we will expect that, that growth and that maturity to happen, and that that is how we will spend this next year of our lives pursuing the heart and the will and the word of God. We're going to take communion now together. I'm going to ask those of you who've been recruited to help serve us in that meal to go ahead and prepare that now. In Luke chapter 2, verse 40, we find a very simple depiction of Jesus' life. It says, the child grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't just appear at the prime of a human life, but he comes as a child and goes through that growing up process? That there's something human about that, that he needs to understand, that he needs to go through. And this description from Luke is both physical and spiritual and emotional, right? It's all of it. It's all of life. You can't really separate all the categories out. And it's that Jesus is maturing. Jesus is making decisions that are helping him become who God wants him to be. And Luke tells us that. Not nearly enough for all the questions we have about what it was like for Jesus to grow up, but, but he does tell us that Jesus grows up, I think, to help us understand this is a part of what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, is, is to be somebody who's open to that always 
that, that always unfolding invitation to be someone more than we are right now. And that as we gather around this table, that's part of the decision we're trying to make once again. And that is, are, are we the kind of people that are open to that transformation? Or do we come here and we're trying our best to pretend we, we already have it worked out and we've already got things, you know, all, all lined up and where they need to be? Or do we come here and we have the confidence in God's grace to say, I know I've come a long way and I have a long way left to go. So I'm here. Teach me, God. Show me. Help me grow up more and more into the image of your son. Let's pray. God, as we partake in this, this bread that represents the body of your son, we ask that you would help us to be people who are open to that always unfolding process of, of growing up more and more into who you want us to be. We thank you that you don't leave us where you find us, but that you invite us to take one step and another step and a step after that until we become more and more not just followers of Christ, but people who live the way Christ lives and loves the way Christ loves and gives our lives for people in the way Christ does. We thank you for that example, and we ask you to empower us to live into it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 12. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We want to have confidence in the grace of God. And so we, we want to have this sense that it's not so much that we need to prove ourselves to God. But make no mistake, we do have to give ourselves to God. We have to entrust ourselves to God, believing that God is not done with us yet. Let's pray. God, as we take this fruit of the vine, as we think about the blood that it represents, the lifeblood of Jesus, that, that his maturity, his growing up, led him to a place of suffering for the sake of others. And as we take it, as we, as we gather around this table once again, God, help us make the decision are we willing to grow up if growing up takes us to a cross? Are we willing to mature if it means giving away our lives for the sake of other people? If it means suffering for other people? God, we, we don't just want to benefit from the story of Jesus. We want to follow that story. We want to live it. And so please empower us to do that now. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. The word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 2. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. 
Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became a human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then he died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. We get to this time in our service where we are asked to give. I think maybe more than anything else, the way that God has blessed so many of us financially is that it gives us advantage and privilege that other people just don't have. And in Philippians chapter 2, we find what Jesus... And therefore, what Jesus' followers should do when it comes to advantages and privilege. We lay it down to help other people. Nobody makes us. Nobody forces us. Nobody guilts us into it. We freely choose to lay it down for the sake of other people. And so, as we enter into this moment, as we wrestle with what it means to be people who follow in the footsteps of this self-giving Savior... What's that going to look like in your life? And again, not with a life of, of categories that are cleanly separated, but all of your life. That includes your financial life. What, what's that going to look like? Only you, in cooperation and conversation with the Holy Spirit, can make that decision. But I'm asking you, listen to the Spirit's guidance when it comes to what it means to be somebody who gives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son more than we can say. And we ask you to help us become more like your son, more than we know how to, how to do on our own. And God, when it comes to giving, when it comes to sacrifice, when it comes to all of our lives being made an offering, we struggle. And we want to hold on. We want to hold things back. We want to use our, our privileges and our resources as an advantage. God, please help us to find ways to lay those things down in order to help other people, people that you love just as much as we know you love us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. It's been a year, hasn't it? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also? along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it then who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any power, 
Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's been a year. And you may have different feelings about it. I have a picture of Reese that kind of communicates my feelings about it. (laughs) That was like day two at Disney World. It's been a year. There's been great moments, and there's been other kinds of moments, and you may feel like you barely got through it kind of on fumes, and here we go into a new year, and you're not sure if you can handle it. That's okay, because whatever this next year holds, we're not going to go through this year alone. We're not. We're going to be together, and we're going to be together with God, and that makes all the difference. We're going to sing now as a church family, and as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be standing in various places to receive you, to pray with you, to talk with you. And so whatever kind of year you've had or what kind of year you're thinking you might have, if you want to talk to a Christian couple and pray, we want you to go to them as we sing. I'm going to ask them to stand up briefly so you can kind of see where they are. Go to them. They want to receive you. Let's stand and sing together.